Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we always do well to check in with our dear friend and comrade who is doing incredible work on the gun violence prevention front. And we know that there's even money tucked away in Biden's infrastructure bill. We'll get into all of that. So much to talk about, and we'll hear all the latest from our friend. And by the way, this is Gun Violence Prevention Month. I know a lot of people celebrating Pride Month, but these overlap, and that's fine. We can celebrate, you know, more than one thing, can we, uh, for justice. Igor Volsky of Guns Down America is with us once again. Hey, buddy, how are you? Mark, so good to be with you. Always good to be with you, man. So, look, I was thinking in preparation, And I was just saying this audience to Eagle before we start talking about all the things I'm aware of. And I said, let me just shut up because I know I'm aware of maybe about a third of the things that are breaking. Igor is aware of the whole. So let's just get right into it. Igor, break it all down. Give us an update on what's happening on the gun violence prevention front. Well, Mark, let's break it down maybe into three different pieces um, that both are are moving at various speeds. We have the $5 billion investment that you refer to. That's the dollars in the president's infrastructure package designed to support evidence-based community programs that have successfully reduced interpersonal gun violence, everyday gun violence in cities across the country. There's the piece about uh, the ATF, which is the federal agency, the only federal agency that has oversight over gun manufacturers and gun dealers. As you and your viewers will remember, the president nominated David Chipman, a gun safety expert, uh, to lead that agency to be the first permanent director uh, that agency has had since I believe 2015. And Mark, this is an office within the Department of Justice 
that is able to really put a dent into illegal gun trafficking. Because what we know about how guns travel across our country and how guns end up in places like Chicago is they really get funneled from down south, states with weaker gun laws, those guns are moved up up north uh, and distributed across the country. And a lot of that really fuels the interpersonal gun violence we've seen, the increase we've seen as well over the last now year and a half, actually. And the third piece we should also talk about are background checks. As you know, it's been over 80 days since the House advanced two different measures to strengthen our nation's background check system. And the Senate has yet to act on that, on, on both of those measures. And the question is, do, uh, is two. One, are there 50 votes just among the Democratic caucus for the kind of robust background check measures that passed the House? That is somewhat unclear. And the second question is, is will the majority leader in the Senate bring those bills to a vote? And will it just be a show vote so that we know where people stand? Or is it part of a larger strategy to eventually create a viable pathway for those measures to uh, end up on the president's desk. So that's kind of where we are broadly. As we saw, the news just broke of uh, negotiations, ongoing negotiations between the president and uh, the West Virginia Senator, Senator Capito, around the infrastructure package. He has shown some willingness, according to the reports, to slim down that package mark, which of course then brings into question which pieces come out right? And which pieces stay in? And what is happening to the $5 billion commitment the president has made? I don't think anybody knows that answer. I think that's an open question, which is why advocacy around this issue is so incredibly important. On the ATF agent, or nominee, I should say, uh, David Chipman, he had his hearing before the Judiciary Committee in the Senate last week. And uh, now I think is the time that folks can also call their senator and ask their senator to support this qualified nominee. Remember, if we want to reduce interpersonal violence, if we want to reduce gun trafficking, we need a permanent director for that agency. And then the third piece, in terms of those background check bills that moved through the House and are now just sitting and collecting dust in the Senate, the Senate majority leader needs to know that Americans across the country are expecting both Chuck Schumer himself, but also the president to live up to their campaign promises and to find a viable path for both of these measures, Mark, to become law. We're not just interested in priorities in name only. They talk about these issues because they care about them, but they actually have to invest real political capital into getting them across the finish line. And I noticed too, you had on that note, you had retweeted, it's actually someone else, but the, the topic was the background check legislation and Kristen Sinema and the filibuster. I mean, that she's a senator from Arizona. Yeah. There have been mass shootings in Arizona. Oh, right? they sure have, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being facetious, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course they have it. In fact, a member of, of Congress was shot in Arizona. Her husband is now the other, the junior senator from Arizona. And here's Kristen Sinema saying, Igor, 
that she's opposed to stopping the filibuster. Well, Mark, I think what you're referring to is a quote she gave to local Arizona paper, I believe yesterday, in which right. she said, I do not, she said, I do not support changing the filibuster rules. We shouldn't change the system. We should change the behavior of individuals in that system. And my point was to say, Senator Sinema, you are a U.S. senator. You have the ability to use your leverage and your position to bring your Republican colleagues along, to push them to change their behavior because they're the ones obstructing legislation that's overwhelmingly popular in the state of Arizona and across the country. So let me tell you this. If you believe you are able to change the behavior of at least 10 Republicans to get to that magic 60 number to break a filibuster, then you go ahead and try. We'll give you a month. We'll give you two months. But if at the end of that effort, you fail in much the same way that Senator Chris Murphy, who, as you know, Mark, was also trying to find 60 votes for a background check bill, is running into, into some challenges. But if you believe you can do it, Senator Sinema, then prove it. In fact, that's why the citizens of Arizona, I'm presuming, elected you into this office. But if you fail, then you have proven that it is, in fact, not possible to change the behavior of individual senators, that the incentives in the system <laughs> are such that they will not be persuaded by your powers of persuasion. And so at that point, then, we need to change the system. More MIP after this message. Well, and, and I think you, you're very diplomatic and polite and generous to her to even give her two months. But I mean, that's fair. <laughs> It, it, so if you want to change the behavior, you and I aren't in the Senate. You know, you, you and I are friends. We can talk to each other about our behavior because we're friends and peers. But you, aren't, you and I are in the Senate. So that's a good challenge. Uh, Senator, I hope you take Igor up on that challenge. And, you know, let's see, see what's happening. Where, and I know we've talked about the diminished power of the NRA, but are they still able, are, are they still holding a carrot out? to some of these Republican senators that they're getting from the NRA, even though, again, as you say, we, they've had diminished power, but they still have some, I think they still have a little bit of money to throw around, right? Yeah, you know, they, uh, a couple of weeks ago, their effort to declare bankruptcy really got thrown out of court because during the course of those proceedings, it was really quite apparent that the organization itself is not in deep financial distress. Uh, that yes, they are raking up multi-million dollar legal bees, uh, bees, bills and attorney's fees, but on the whole, they seem to be doing all right. And so uh, because of that failure uh, to uh, what they wanted to do, which was to declare bankruptcy and flee the state of New York for the state of Texas to avoid all of the litigation they're facing in the state where they've been chartered since 1871, I believe, is the year. And so now, you know, they are facing internal challenges, Mark, but they still have such incredible, you know, cultural pull within the Republican conservative identity that we're kind of at a point now, and you see this in the way in which, you know, Senator Murphy, we just mentioned, who was trying to find those 60 votes for background checks and hasn't really been able to and hasn't really been able to make progress. That really shows that even at a period when the NRA's power is certainly diminished from what it was, that they are so part of like the, 
I don't know, conservative air, right? Um, uh, conservative identity, conservative fabric that even with all the embarrassment that's come out around them, their ideology still has such pull within the movement. We've also, you mentioned West Virginia earlier. We know what Biden is trying to do with COVID. 70% of Americans about 4th of July. Here in New York, you go to a game, you get free, you, you get vaccinated at, at Yankee Stadium and other places, you get a free ticket to the game, free beer, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but in West Virginia, what, what is this I'm hearing? You get a gun too. Oh goodness, yeah. So news broke the other day, I think Vice was <laughs> maybe the first one to break it, uh, that in West Virginia, you can enter a raffle to win one of 10 I believe they're hunting rifles is what they're raffling off on Father's Day, by the way. So so get your get your ticket in, I guess. And you know, it's really so incredibly disheartening, particularly at a time, Mark, where we've seen gun sales increase dramatically across the country, both in 2020 and in the first six months of 2021. And as that has been happening, we've of course seen gun violence increase as well, not just mass shootings, which have seen a, a resurgence uh, as we've seen over Memorial Day weekend, over a hundred incidents right, right. Uh, of gun violence, but obviously before, but also interpersonal violence in major cities up by about 30%. That's incredibly significant. And so the folks in West Virginia, <laughs> Looking out at what's happening across the country and to some degree in their state, I believe the sales are about 30% up, uh, were 30% up in 2020 in West Virginia as compared to 2019. Looking at that reality, looking at all of the science that's out there that says having a gun in the home increases the risk of suicide, increases the risk of homicide, still are going out uh, with this kind of promotion. It's so incredibly irresponsible to trade a uh, safety from a deadly virus uh, with an instrument that can, uh, you know, end, end human life and increase the chances, frankly, that human life will end. More MIP after this message. Some of these numbers in this New York Times article, and, and Igor shared these with me, 20% uh, of purchasers in 2020 were new gun owners, and the gun industry's marketing new customers is working. 50% of the new owners were women, 20% were black, and 20% were Hispanic. You mentioned the hold on the culture, or, or the hold NRA and the gun industry has on culture and, and guns in general. We've talked before about people buying guns during the pandemic, but this is a little jarring to hear that this is happening amongst constituencies that um, you know many people know uh, for whom this can be very risky. Women, African-Americans, Hispanics, the concern that you and I have shared and many others have shared, and I know people don't agree with this, they think we're wrong for doing this, but you know, people fantasize, get guns, and then accidents happen, or there's interpersonal violence. And when this happens disproportionately to historically oppressed and discriminated against communities, all right? So mm -hmm. th these are three, mm -hmm. women, African-Americans, and Hispanics. Now somebody else said, Mark, you don't want people of color and women to have the right to own the guns. That's not the case at all. But I'd just be curious to know in the, do you have any thoughts about why those three groups and three of the most important groups that we work with and appeal to and appeal with, why those numbers are up in particular amongst those three groups? you have any 
thoughts on that? Well, Mark, it's certainly a complicated question. Um, okay. And I can offer just some observations that aren't particularly rooted uh, in any in, in any kind of real science or, or research around this, although that that is uh, becoming available. So let me say a couple of things. The first is that the industry and the NRA have for years, and in fact, for decades, uh, have worked very hard to appeal to the groups you just mentioned, because they understand that having a customer base uh, that is mostly white and aging and dying, as all of us <laughs> slowly are to some degree, uh, is a bad business proposition for an industry that has to keep on growing and that has to keep on increasing sales. So that's that's part of it. The other part is what we saw during the pandemic, which is this response to a deadly global virus that pushed people to line up around the block at gun stores uh, and run out and purchasing guns because they were afraid that society was in disarray. They were afraid, uh, and we know this anecdotally from the news reports, of uh, folks getting out of prison uh, because of coronavirus, of law enforcement uh, falling sick with corona and then not being able to respond to, to potential crime. And so they responded by, by getting guns. And look, Mark, if the kind of system that we had in place was one where if you wanted to purchase a gun for personal protection, then you needed to take a course on gun safety. Um, you needed to undergo, in all cases, a uh, thorough background check. You needed to understand and have the ability to safely store your gun. That would be one thing, right? But that's clearly not the system we currently have. That's not how the industry functions because they produce incredibly lethal weapons, weapons that today are so much more dangerous than they were a decade ago. And so I think those are some of the factors pushing this. But some of the new research that I've seen that I think actually just came out last week, among gun owners, there appears to be a divide. And this is where the culture piece comes in. They looked at white gun owners and black gun owners. And it turns out, and I wish I had the number somewhere here, that black gun owners are far more likely to support gun safety measures than white gun owners. And the number that I, that I seem to remember, and maybe as I talk, I'll see if I can bring it up on my screen here. The number I seem to remember is about gun licensing. Oh, yep, and here it is. So around gun licensing, uh, let me, well, let me just give you a sense of what these numbers look like. So question, do you support requiring a license for gun purchases for white gun owners 60% support gun licensing, which is already pretty big and, and surprising, I think. Among black gun owners, that is 20%, 20 uh, percentage points higher, 80%. 80% of black gunners support licensing. Do you support minimum uh, having a minimum age of 21 to possess a gun? 85% of black gun owners, yes. 48% of white gun owners, yes. Uh, banning the sale of high-capacity magazines. These are the magazines that allow shooters, both in pistols but also in rifles, to um, to to kind of spray bullets uh, over a short period of time uh, and kill uh, many people as efficiently as possible. This is what powers a lot of the mass shootings. This is kind of the mass in mass shootings. Uh, do you support banning the sale of these large-capacity magazines? Black gun owners, yes, 59%. White gun owners, yes, only 37%. And that's really kind of the pattern here. So I think that's an, that's, that's an important caveat here, right? That it's not just 
this idea of, of owning a gun that you have in a lot of these historically marginalized community, a sense of, hey, if you're going to own a gun, you need to do that responsibly. It's different in these white gun owning communities where the culture is all around, you know, having an individual freedom that can in no way um, be regulated or boxed up. And that, of course, Mark, as you can imagine, is probably also kind of very layered in and rooted in in um, in, in notions of, uh, you know, which groups in society traditionally have power, right? And those groups, those white groups trying to hold on um, to that power as well. That's a relief to know that. So, so that's good. Uh, still very interesting. Folks, contact your elected officials, background checks, all of the above, assault weapons. Uh, and we're going to have to fight for this $5.3 billion to deal with gun violence prevention. And that's with gun violence uh, interrupters doing in communities is also educate people about gun safety. Yeah. Um, and, you know, frankly, with with the rise in gun violence and even homicidal violence. See, that's the other thing on, on the other side of this police piece. Police aren't solving that. They aren't. They're just not doing it. Yeah. We don't turn on the news. We see police on video killing unarmed people. But we don't see police running up in a house full of gangbangers who are armed and having to shoot out with them. They don't do that which is very interesting, by the way. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they prefer to take on people who can't fight back, can't defend themselves. But in order to deal with all of that, that's obviously gonna come from the ground. And seemingly what Igor has done and Pastor Mike and others have done, uh, Erica Campbell and others have done, is convince the White House that that has to come from the ground up to end some of the gun violence, even within our own communities, uh, in the inner cities, on these streets out here, so to speak. And, and you know, Mark, uh, if I can, and that's please. really where the White House, you know, I spend so much time pushing the White House to do more, but let me just recognize that okay. I think this is an area, the community investment area, where the White House has really made significant strides, right? So not only the $5.3 billion you're mentioning that's in, in the president's infrastructure package, but also through executive order, he repurposed existing right. funds into these programs. His budget that came out last week also includes funding for community programs. The Department of Justice, I think two weeks ago, issued gu guidance to attorneys across the country that made it very clear that we're not gonna over-criminalize um, gun possession or, 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 or we're not gonna rather over-criminalize uh, breaking the law when it comes to right. uh, possessing firearms, right? And, and really kind of prioritizing uh, the way the department's gonna function so that they go after the big fish in the, in the illicit gun trade. All of that is just so incredibly important because in many ways, it's a sea change from how our country has dealt with these issues under, as you know, Republican and Democratic uh, administration. So the president and his staff really recognizing the importance of tackling interpersonal violence through non-incarceration, non-law enforcement focused means is really essential and I think um, is a real testament, frankly, to the fact that the White House is listening to, you know, and then you mentioned many of them, uh, or some of them, I should say, the, the black and brown leaders who, who are leading this effort. GunsDownAmerica.org, our friend Igor Vols Volsky. Folks, subscribe, get involved. This is a movement that's happening every day, taking place every day, not just when Igor is here with me. <laughs> so get involved. Thank you, Igor, as always, buddy, okay? Thank you, Mark. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. 
Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.